tonight. Part 18, we're in Galatians 6.1. We kind of covered that. We'll cover more than that here tonight. But this is kind of picking up where we left off last week, where we, we started talking about the watchman on the wall and how, uh, you know, if we fail to warn someone, then the blood be on our heads. If they don't repent, blood be on their heads kind of thing. We'll touch a little bit more on that. Uh, again, if any of you are listening on podcasts and you want to see these things or get more, go to Creation Instruction on Patreon.com. So let's begin here with Jeremiah 23, verse 16. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. You know, this is something that has been going on for years and years and years in this country. We've got people saying, hey, we're a Christian nation. And so as a result, everything's going to be okay. We're, we're Christians. It's fine. Well, that's what was going on with these false prophets in the days of Jeremiah when they were saying, Jeremiah was saying the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to destroy this country because you have failed to repent. You've had idol worship. You've, you've failed to obey God. And they said, no, no, we're, we still go to church. We're a Christian nation. God is with us. Sounds very familiar. Today, we have far too many pastors who are soothing us with kind words and telling us to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to ignore the conviction of God's Word. And the term that we used last week was the spiritual anesthesiologists, that we have become so numb to what is truth anymore. And we measure what truth is based on what we want, what we desire, what will make people think highly of us, what doesn't offend somebody else, rather than letting God's word be the source of truth. And I was thinking about that this week a little bit more in relation to, you know, we all think we're right, don't we? I mean, everybody thinks, I know truth. Everybody thinks that. And what makes my truth different than your truth? Well, we're going to look at this deeper, but the bottom line is, my truth means nothing. It's what God's Word says. And if I am telling you something that goes against God's Word, don't listen to my truth because it's not truth. If your truth is going against God's Word, you better not listen to your own truth. Because... The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful, it is wicked, it is beyond cure. You cannot trust your own thoughts. You can't trust your eyes. You can't trust your ears. Sometimes when I speak at schools, I'll throw up some of those illusions. You've all seen them, where it may be, you know, a dress. Is it gold or blue? Right? So half of the people will swear that dress is gold, half will swear it's blue. You can't trust your own eyes. You, can't, you don't know what truth is. I'll throw up some things where they swear they're hearing this woman say something. And then I'll say, close your eyes. And it's saying something completely different. Just because they're not seeing it. Their ears will deceive them. I'm telling you, we're all idiots. Your brain will deceive you. You can't trust it. You have to get truth from God's word, not from your own emotions or feelings. And if somebody is saying anything that goes against the word of God, I'm telling you it is of the devil and you need to run. I know I can't trust my thoughts. There have been things I've believed and wondered and, and, and you know, leaned towards that was just more based on me, my emotions and what I was hoping. Or what made me, if not just feel good, make me a little bit more palatable to those who would listen to me. Can't do that. Jeremiah certainly did not do that. You see, today we want to remove the pain 
of breaking God's commandments. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's too hard. You don't have to do anything. Just call on the name of Jesus. It's all done. We can't remove the pain, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew, he says, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He didn't say anyone who takes up their 401k and their bank account and their you know, Lamborghini. He says, you take up your cross. That's not a fun thing to do. To take up your cross meant I'm willing to give it all up. I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to lose my friends, my family, my home, my car, all of it, because I'm going to my death. He also said this, anyone who finds his life will lose it, and those who lose their lives for my sake will find it. How many of us really contemplate that? Are we willing to lay it all down? You know, when it says the Lord has said you shall have peace here, like I said before, that's what I hear many saying in our political realm today. Maybe God will be patient with us and give us another reprieve. I don't know, but I'll tell you that my gut feeling is no. The politics, I'm not saying give up on it. What I'm saying is the politics will not save this country. I don't care if Trump gets back in or whoever, a new concern, that will not save this country. The only thing that is going to save this country is repentance, and that is exactly what Jeremiah was saying. And I'll tell you, this is what Jeremiah was saying, but we also had other prophets coming in, like Hananiah and others that were saying, oh no, Jeremiah is wrong, you will have peace. They were wrong. Time will tell, but by then it's too late. You see, we're not supposed to repent to save our country. We're supposed to repent to bring God honor because he's holy. Ezekiel 33, verse 14 says again, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. It's just interesting. How is it that we are now offended when people try to obey God's word? We've replaced this message of Ezekiel and Jeremiah with messages that say, oh, oh, you can't lose your salvation. You already said a prayer, you're in. Go ahead, go live your life. Don't worry, it's okay. Stop wrestling, that's too hard. Just, just wrestling is bad. We wanna remove the pain, right? Remove every obstacle from our children. If any of you have kids, you know the worst thing that you can do is keep every obstacle away from your child. The worst. Give them everything, but nothing but peace and happiness and money and whatever. They'll be the most spoiled brats you'll ever see. No. You know, or, or we'll say things, oh, you've got too much stress in your life already, right? Uh, don't worry about that. We do everything to remove the pain. As soon as we have struggles and trials... And i got to be careful how I say this because I'm not saying that people cannot be on antidepressant drugs. But I am saying this, that as soon as we have trials, we go and we try to take away that pain so that we don't learn from it. There is a time and a place for them, again. But I, it is so far abused and so much of a, an excuse not to deal with the things that we need to deal with. Because it is through that that we grow. You see, what you need is to just focus on grace. Just focus on the love of God. In other words, focus on the soothing words of these prophets 
and pastors and whatever that are going to tell you, it's okay, just be happy, happy, happy. No, sometimes we need to be broken. We need to fall on our faces and say, God, I am sorry. If we don't do that, what happened to Israel is exactly what's happening here in America right now, is we've allowed our blessings to turn into curses. We see, we talked about that before, that cycle. It's in the book of Judges over and over. We see it throughout all of history with the Israelites, that God blesses them with stuff, and then pretty soon they end up, you know, just life is good. We don't need God. And they start turning away, they don't obey, and then they're right back where they are, crying out to God because they're oppressed. God will bring a deliverer years later. And then that cycle begins over and over and over and over again. I think that our blessings in America have allowed us to fall asleep. We are in that part of the cycle that we have seen repeated in history time and time again, and you know what's next then. Hard times. You see, we have not terrified the world by letting them know we have a holy and righteous God that does demand an accounting. And if we don't have the blood of Jesus, and if you don't know him, I am telling you, you better shake in your boots. We've assimilated to the world instead. Rather than fearing God, we've, yes, peace, joy, relaxation, vacation, money, peace, just retirement, right? I put in my time. I don't see God's word ever saying that. But that's the American dream. Get as many toys as you can so that later you can just sit back, kick back, and enjoy life. I'm not saying you can't enjoy life, but we, we have a, a mission that we're supposed to do. We mentioned that last week. I, I want to show you Genesis 26.4. I mentioned it last week, but just in connection with what he's saying here in Ezekiel, again, look, he's, he says that they have not walked in their statutes that give life, all of these things. And I mentioned last week, look what he told, told Abraham here in Genesis 26. I'll make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I'll give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We have been. But why was Abraham blessed? Why would they, the nations be blessed? Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. What I want you to understand is, this is Abraham. Levi hasn't even come about. The Levitical priesthood, Moses, the Ten Commandments, none of that. And yet, so what is he talking about? My charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws? As I said, guys, we have this skewed view of history. The laws didn't magically come about on Mount Sinai. These were already there. They were simply written down because they needed to be. The stuff was already there from the point of creation. God had instructed them. Exodus 32, verse 31, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin. They've made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. First of all, you can't blot out somebody if their salvation can't be lost. I know that's controversial, but this is what it's saying. How do you lose it? How do you get blotted out? By sin by sin that's not covered up by the blood. In essence, no faith. This is supposed to instill fear in you because Jesus isn't nice, just nice. He's necessary. The only way you live 
The only way you survive is if your name is in the book of life. And you don't want that blotted out. Do we truly fear the Lord or have we allowed the blessing of our country to make us fall asleep in this message of, oh, you said a prayer, you're in, it's okay. Once saved, always saved, you're saved now. Go ahead, party it up. Go ahead, just build your kingdom, get as much money as you can and as many toys as you can and live your life for you right now. It's okay because God wants you to have an abundant life. Let's define what abundant life is then, right? And then all of a sudden we become like those five virgins. Remember the, the parable of the ten virgins? Five were prepared, five were not. What does it mean not to be prepared? They were just going about their everyday life doing what they wanted to do. They had an agenda. Not God's agenda, their own agenda. And I dare say that Many in the church today have our own agenda for what we are supposed to be doing here in this life. God has given you an agenda. It's in his word. If you're confused what it is, talk to me. <laughs> you know, the other thing before I leave this verse, I'm just amazed at Moses. I pray that God will give this attitude in my heart where he says Lord no these people have sinned they deserve to be wiped out but don't wipe them out rather wipe me out he's not talking about give me a spanking he's sending send me to hell blot me out of the book of life guys I'll tell you some of these Dr. Fauci Biden Trudeau they deserve hell. Are we willing to do what Moses said here and, and say, God, no, please don't send them to hell. Blot me out. Do we have that kind of love for our enemies that we are willing to pray for them, fast for them, don't give up? Paul said the same thing in Romans. He says, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own brothers, the people of Israel. He didn't say, I could wish that I myself had a bad day. Cursed and cut off from Christ. Exactly what Moses was saying. That's the attitude we're supposed to have. I'm honest, I don't have it. I want it, but I don't have that kind of attitude for them. But I need, we need to. We need to pray for that. Let's go to the book of Revelation. I'm going to give you a sneak peek here. Revelation 3, 4. You have a, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. Now, this just doesn't mean they hadn't washed their clothes in a physical sense. He's talking about their works. Even in the book of Revelation, he's worried about our works. And if you are in pornography, let me tell you, your, your garments are defiled right now. Now, I'm not saying that every sin that you do is, as Christians, yes, there is a truth that the blood of Jesus covers that and we are not defiled. So I, I don't want to say you have to be perfect to be saved. What I'm saying is, is if you're living in willful sin and you're caught up in pornography and there's no repentance and, and you're justifying this away, you may not really know Jesus. And your clothing is defiled. He goes on, They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy, these who have not defiled their garments, who, whose sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name. See, they are saved because of Yeshua. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I love that too. God is going to confess your name before, well, Jesus will confess your name before the father. By the way, taking you back again, remember that's exactly what God did in the Garden of Eden. 
when he made Adam, and then Adam is a Christ figure, and Adam is then blessed with a wife, the very first recorded words of Adam, a Christ figure, is she shall be called woman. He confesses her name, a picture of the church, the bride, to the Father. A picture of that. We could go on with that. But anyway, we know Revelation 19 talks about this white linen and how it is the righteous acts of the saints. And so it has to do with our works. And we will talk about this when we get to Revelation, but you will see that it's both are going to be connected. That these people who have righteous acts are also washed in the blood of Jesus. Faith and works will go together. Romans 11.22, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. Severity of God? When do we talk about that? It says, On those who fell, severity. But toward you, those in Christ, goodness. If, not just those in Christ, goodness forever and ever, no matter what. If, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off, blotted out. See, we like to focus on the goodness, but we ignore the severity. What does it mean to fall? Well, only Scripture can define that. Those who believe and no longer believe. How do you know if you believe? Well, a tree is judged by its fruit. Are you walking the walk? If you're not walking the walk, maybe you better question whether you truly believe or if you're just confessing that you believe. You can say you're a Rams fan, but if you're not excited when they win the game, you're probably not a Rams fan. You can say you believe in Jesus, but you're not excited for what he's done for you in your life and following him. You're not a Jesus fan. So if you continue, just like what Romans 6 says, it says obedience which leads to righteousness, it says in Romans 6. Here's some other proof in the New Testament. James 5, 19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Not just warning them, but if that person turns, if, sounds just like Ezekiel, doesn't it? Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What we do does matter. You know, Proverbs here, it's hard to hold people accountable, but it's what we are supposed to be doing. Holding people accountable when they stray. If you hold somebody accountable, you can kind of tell who they are based on how they respond. A faithful person is going to respond to it. An unfaithful person is going to be angry. Now, I'm not saying that they, they may be angry at first, but they're going to let that simmer. Sometimes the flesh rears up right away, and it takes time for the Spirit to, to overcome that flesh. But if they don't respond and they won't live in the Spirit, there's a problem there. I'm not going to say they're not a Christian. I, I don't know. Where there are, but I'm saying there's a huge problem there. There's a red flag that needs to be addressed. I can tell you this, though. I can promise you this. The devil is going to come to you as a friend before he comes as a foe. That's exactly what Judas was, right? Even the disciples were saying, Is it I? Am I the one? They didn't even know. Godly people. Every single case, it seems, we, we see fear trembling because they are in the presence of holiness and they know it. And so, yeah, if you're seeing these angels and it's like, oh, warm, fuzzy beauty, be you might want to be afraid for a different reason. Yeah. Yeah. The devil always, I mean, I'm going to use Bethel Church as an example. Okay, it sounds nice. It sounds like, oh, but it's talking about God. Guys, you got to look at the source. 
the devil will disguise himself. He masquerades as an angel of light. And so you may like it and you go, oh, but I really like that song. Yeah, that's what you like. That's your emotions. Again, go to the word. And if, if they are contradicting in their actions, then you know this is not coming from a good source. It doesn't matter if it's a good song. It doesn't matter if you like it. We have to have a discerning spirit based on the word of God. Psalm 141.5, let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Like I said, you're going to know the righteous because of the way they respond to a correction. And if your friend refuses a rebuke, maybe he's not a friend of God. I think I've told you this before, but I'll always remember... Adonna Brisk from Oregon. When I was a teacher in Oregon, I, man, I had a class that pushed every button I had. And I would yell at this. There was just two kids that I would yell at because I, I, they pushed every button. And I would, you know, get in their face and say, you need to sit down. You know, whatever the case was. And this little kindergarten teacher, you know how they are, came, I had her son in there, was a great kid, and he, she sat me down at the, well, I sat her down in the teacher's conference, I was one being sat down though, didn't feel like it, she was so good to me, loving, and she just kind of challenged me on that, and I remember thinking, yeah, Donna, but you don't know, these two kids I have, you don't know them, you don't see what they do. But I had such a respect for her because I knew she loved God. And I think that's important. When we, we need to walk the walk to have the right to go and give that to other people sometimes. You know, I'm not going to listen to somebody that's caught up in pornography to come and tell me that I shouldn't be watching pornography. Well, I remember going home and praying, God... I don't see it, but I, I know she loves you. Show me if I'm wrong. I didn't get an answer to that right away. I know throughout the year I, I, I attempted to be better at that, but I remember by the end of the year, I got it. And it was years, a couple of years later that I ended up writing her a letter. We had moved. And I thanked her because I said, you were so right. Sometimes it takes time for us to learn because we are stubborn. But she was right on. We need to be willing to consider sometimes when we are rebuked that our corner of truth may not be right. She wasn't, she, I mean, she was being biblical. I was like psychology. That's where my, you know, psychologically, this kid needs a whooping, okay? But she said, this kid needs Jesus. She needs me to be in control. She needs me to have the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Another one, Proverbs 28, 23, he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. We do way more flattering than rebuking today. But again, a righteous man is going to appreciate it. Let's get back to our Galatians text finally here and move on through it a little bit. Galatians 6 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. You know, that kid, those two kids that I would yell at, I was not treating them with a spirit of gentleness. And considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, I was being tempted. I lost control. I was the one that needed a rebuke as well. But you know, we are to restore sometimes as well by using the law. 
but you can do that without anger. Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that ye not be judged, or judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You know, a few years back, I remember hearing that, you know, the most uh, quoted verse in all scripture was John 3, 16. Probably 10 years ago, this became the most quoted verse of all scripture. Judge not lest ye be judged. And I have heard good godly people use this and they feel well you know I just feel like I, I don't have my life together so I shouldn't be you know telling them no guys you will never get your life together even the apostles didn't have their life together you are to judge John 7 24 says do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment it is so misused you see this verse speaking about hypocrites it's talking about the plank in their eyes here in Matthew he's talking about hypocrites judging listen you don't have your life together fully but you know when you do wrong and you're repentant and you hate your sin that's not being a hypocrite you see we who are spiritual are to be judging righteously we're even called and commanded to judge. And this is exactly what Galatians 6 is talking about. You who are spiritual, restore. How do you restore? With the spirit of gentleness? And you're going to see here, with the law of God. You can't rebuke without the law of God, but you can use the law of God in gentleness too. But we are commanded to judge. Don't forget that. We just judge righteously because we know what truth is. Don't let your forgiven sins, those things you hate in your life, keep you from trying to better others as well. Daniel 12.2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let me tell you something. When you rebuke others, you're not just helping them. You're helping yourself. You're helping the whole community around you. You're helping the kingdom of God. This is one of the most annoying things to me when we talk about homosexuality. They can live their life how they want. No, that affects me. When we're talking about the church, I'm telling you guys, no, it's not just them doing their own thing, not affecting anybody else. It affects you. And you not saying anything also affects you. But you do it with gentleness, you do it with love, but you do it with truth. And you judge righteously. You do not tolerate. And I'm not talking just homosexuality. Let's move it even into somebody's living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, sleeping together before they're married. That affects you. Achan's sin affected the whole community because God is holy. So let's continue here in Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember I said that this is exactly what Galatians is saying. What Ezekiel was saying. Warn them. Restore them. You are to bear one another's burdens so that you fulfill the law of Christ. You're going to see here we're talking about Remember, we, we've talked about all the commandments can be summed up in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself and love God, right? Two things in a sense. It says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Going back a little bit in Galatians, we see that he was basically saying the same thing, but I want to point out something here. He said, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What I want you to see is he 
when we talk about Galatians 5.14, all the law, what would you define that as? Ten Commandments? Maybe in the church some would say that. Maybe not. I don't know. But here in Galatians 6, just building on what he's saying, he now says the law of Christ. Some people think the law of Christ is simply just loving your neighbor. Love people. And that's all you got to do. So if there's a homosexual practicing homosexuality, love them. Don't rebuke them. Well, love is rebuking them. We have redefined what love is. In, in essence, what is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is, is being used synonymously here with the law of Torah. Look at that. Look at it carefully. We see from Leviticus 19.18 here that the law promotes love. Even in the Old Testament, the law wasn't this abusive thing. It was even out of love back then. Go look at it, Leviticus 19.18. But again, here in 6.1, bear one another's burdens. It's another way of saying love your neighbor. Now, when Galatians 5, was uh, what they were quoting there, was Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. He's quoting that to support what loving your neighbor means. So it isn't just don't rebuke people, love them, and you know, be nice to them all the time and ignore sin. It was be honest with them, love them with the commandments of God. So, very different perspective that the devil has given us about the law of God in the Old Testament. Again, it's more abusive, like an abusive father. That's what the law is in the Old Testament. No, it's a loving father. That's what the Old Testament laws are. The Old Testament laws are the law of Christ. When I read Deuteronomy, I'm looking for Christ. When I read Leviticus, I'm looking for Christ. When I read Exodus, I'm looking for Christ. Remember, on the road to Emmaus, he reasoned with them the things concerning himself, Christ, from what? The law and the prophets. Satan has done a great job of twisting what the law is, making it an abusive thing. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, pride. We could look at this a lot. We're going to give you a couple of examples of pride. But that's what they're saying. You shouldn't go in a prideful like, oh, I'm better than you are. I keep the Sabbath. I'm better than you are. That's not the, no, you got a problem then. That's not loving your neighbor either. Look at this, 2 Chronicles 26.3. We're going to show you uh, Uzziah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Good godly king here, right? According to all that his father Amaziah had done, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the vision of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So, as long as he was seeking God, he was walking with the Lord, good things were happening. And then it goes on here in verse 14, jump into 26, 14. Then Uzziah prepared for them for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men. God had blessed him with prosperity, technology. It says to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide. For he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Man, you're reading this and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got a good king. And then you get till he became strong. And it's like, oh, no. It's funny. Every time I read through the kings every year, I'm reading through and I'm rooting for these guys. I know what's coming, but I'm still rooting. And then it's, it turns south and it's like, oh, no. Not again. 
Don't let that be you. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. Pride crept in, a little bit at a time, to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He allowed his blessings to become a curse. Instead of thanking God for these things, he took pride in them. Let me tell you guys, pride will sneak up on you. We want honor. Honor can be intoxicating. Power can be intoxicating. Fame can be intoxicating. I've said this before, but there's a reason Apple looks like the way it does. I truly believe that. That it's that half bitten apple. I think that goes right back to the Garden of Eden. You too can have all these things. I'm telling you, technology today, which could be a blessing, we have turned into a curse. Pornography at your fingertips, narcissism at your fingertips without even you knowing that you're becoming narcissistic. We put posts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever else is out there. In essence, we won't admit it, but it's, look at me. Look what I'm having for dinner. <laughs> Acting as if people really care. And then I hear, oh, but they do. I care. I like to see what people, yeah. We're narcissistic. Maybe those are things we shouldn't care about. Maybe we should care about the deeper things of life. You don't do the meal planning in your house very much, do you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> How did people make it before Facebook? I just don't know. I just don't know. Anyway, my point being is pride comes before destruction. We see that here in Uzziah. Rebellion against Christ, though, is in a sense lifting us up rather than lifting him up. Again, I know that Facebook in of itself is not evil. I know that if you've posted your meal or whatnot, doesn't mean that you're a narcissist all the time. But I am saying this examine your motives. Examine your time spent. Examine, is this truly beneficial? All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Maybe our time could be better spent doing something else, lifting him up rather than us up. Look at what a beautiful meal I made. That's what felt, like I said, it creeps up on you. It may seem, oh, Brian, you're going off the edge here. Come on, it's no big deal. I'm sure Uzziah thought that too. You know, at first, I bet he gave God credit for all the blessings that he had, but somewhere then just a little crack in the door to where he began to take pride in his accomplishments. Somewhere that door gets cracked open where you take pride in the meal you made. Or the child you raised. Again, I, I'm not saying you can't be proud of your kids. I'm just saying we need to be careful. Because it'll creep in and you don't realize it. This is what's so scary about our society today. That pride has, has left us to, led us to rebellion against Christ. I can't say it's because people post meals on Facebook. What I'm saying is, look back. It wasn't such a narcissistic society 20 years ago. What happened? Something happened to allow us to become more self-centered. Facebook is just one of those of many things. 
goes on, so Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. I like that. There were men that were willing to stand up to the king. They put their job on the line here, guys. That king could have not only killed them, but kicked them out of the priesthood. They withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. They're holy. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Maybe that's a question you should ask. By posting, and I know it's a little different situation, but by posting everything that happens in our life, are you bringing honor to God in that? Is God honored? We need to be valiant men standing up against falsehoods. Remember, Saul wanted the honor of men. He wanted, hey, look at me. Come on, Samuel, don't, don't leave. Just at least, at least make the sacrifice in front of the people for me. I want them to look at me and be proud of me. John 12, we read about many of the Jews. It says these leaders, they believed in Jesus, but they feared the Jews. And so they loved the honor of men more than the honor of God. It continues in verse 19, Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. While he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. He was like, yeah, okay, okay, okay I'm getting out. And then he wanted them to pray for him. You see, his initial response was fury, not humility, until God had to step in. Proverbs 9.8 says, Do not correct a scoffer. That's what he was. Lest he hate you, rebuke a wise man, and he'll love you. It wasn't even when it happened, though. It was after somebody after. pointed it out. Yeah. And by the way, leprosy in Scripture, it's an interesting thing. I think we have literalized it too much to where the word leprosy in Hebrew, it isn't just like you've got a skin disease and that's all it is. It was, it was an indication of something wrong in your heart. And God did allow that to happen many times. And we, we might talk a little bit more about this when we get to Revelation, but it, it was a marking of being unclean and as a result, you had to go out of the camp. And until there was a heart change in a sense, then it was like God would cleanse. You'd come back. The priest would then pronounce you clean. But like I said, that, that's a whole study in itself. But there is an indication of what's going wrong in the heart when they had leprosy there. Okay. Verse 21, King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. It's like, oh, you were doing so well. Guys, that can happen to you. I know people who were following the Lord, it seemed, and just the hand of God's blessing has been removed. Now, I'm not saying just because you have problems in life that God's hand of blessing has been removed from you. We all have problems. Christians die, Christians get cancer, Christians have issues. That's not what I'm saying here. This, sometimes, yes, when you're not walking, and I've seen that happen many times, where there are godly men who get caught up in pornography, and their life begins to fall apart. Their home life begins to fall apart. Their marriage begins to fall apart. Their job begins to fall apart. That's a consequence. You may be forgiven because you may be a believer, but there are consequences to your actions. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Proverbs 16.5, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Galatians 1.10, 
For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. <clears throat> NIV puts it this way, if I, should yet be a if I should yet seek to please men, I should not be a servant of Christ Jesus. I've told you that before, guys. If I am here to please you and to, to build a big Bible study, shame on me. I should not be a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm here to give you the truth. And I'll tell you what, there will be times I'm sure I need a rebuke from you. And I count on you to be there if I get prideful, if I go astray in any way. I need you to be there for me. Yeah, I am serious about that. <laughs> About the shirt? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah about the shirt. <laughs> My wife made me wear this. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> the woman, she she gave it to me. <laughs> and I put it off. What's wrong with the shirt? Nothing. Just a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you on TikTok when you were talking about it? <laughs> anyway, Ezekiel twenty-eight, twelve. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. By the way, we're, we're switching stories here now to the king of Tyre. This is a picture of Satan. This is talking about Satan. It's talking about both of them, ultimately. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Let me ask you this. Was Satan saved when he was created? Yeah. Absolutely. There can be no question about that one. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering with sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Notice that. God is eternal and uncreated being. Satan is a created being. Now, by the way, this is also interesting. Satan was covered in gold and jewels and precious stones, right? Do you know that in Islam, they have their Mahdi and, and basically this, basically they worship the devil. And there are in their prayers that describe him in the same way as a peacock and adorned with, with precious stones. In my video on Islam, I think it is, I talk about that. But there's a connection. Make no mistake, Islam worships the devil. And they need to be warned. So don't take that lightly. Um, again, this is prophetic of Satan. He was in perfection. And then look what it says here in verse 14. You were in the anointed cherub you, you're, who covers... Remember, the cherub are always in God's presence. Not only was he a created angel, but he was one of the angels that was like in charge of stuff, in the presence of God. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways. From the day you were created, there it is, till... Till iniquity was found in you. What happened? Pride. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Is that one of your idols? Vanity? Tell you what, for most women it is. Yeah. It can be for some men. Okay. Again, I'm not saying that you can't look nice for your husbands. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, is it can get to be an unhealthy thing to where your identity is found in what you look like. 
And when that happens, pride, that door is just cracked open a little bit. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Let me tell you something, women. It's not about you, and you don't have to dress for other women either. You should dress for God. That puts a little different standard of what you're allowed to wear. Okay? Women today do not dress modestly. Timothy talks about that. A woman should, you know, be dressed modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair, gold, and pearls, and expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Do you profess to worship God? Okay. It doesn't mean you can't have jewelry on. It doesn't mean that you can't have braided hair. It means your heart should not be filled with vanity. You have good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. You're dressing for the Lord. You can look nice for your husband, but if your thoughts are consumed by that vanity, pride, that's what it is. But look at this, he says, I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. God took what he, he wanted to be gazed at, but he says, I cast you down, and now rather than angels gazing at you, men are going to gaze at you. And by the way, I, I can't remember exactly where it is, but we're going to see at some point that the, the devil, when he gets cast down, everybody rises up to meet him. And when they rise up to meet him, it's not going to be, oh, the fame of this guy. It's going to be you. You caused this. You led me astray. They're not going to be happy. Anyway, everything I have, everything I am, it can all go up in smoke as soon as we become prideful. With pride, not only comes destruction, but comes delusion. Satan was deluded here. He thought he could actually overtake God. And he even convinced a third of the angels, it seems, to follow him. That he could overtake God. I mean, delusion. I, I don't know if you ever watched the Tiger King. Don't. But if you did, you want to talk about delusion. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen people who become deluded because of pride. Happens in sports all the time. Happens with politicians all the time. Happens with us all the time. There have been times I've allowed pride to creep in my life, but I look back and I think, oh, it is one of the most ugly things. Ugly. It's like, oh, how embarrassing. I didn't see it at the time. I was deluded. Just terrible. But what was the result of all of this? He was cast out of God's presence. Scary. Proverbs 28, 25. He who is a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Second Chronicles 32. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, we're going to look at another, moving on to another story here. We saw Uzziah, we see Satan, last one, Hezekiah. Because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, prayed and cried out to heaven. The Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain of the camp of the king of Assyria. The backdrop is this. The Assyrians have come and captured the northern tribes of Israel. Now they're working their way to capture the southern tribes of Israel. Jerusalem, Hezekiah. But because Hezekiah is a godly king, he prays to the Lord. Isaiah comes to him and basically says, don't worry, God's got this. Summarizing it, paraphrasing it here. Great story. And prophetic of end times too, by the way. We'll talk about that in Revelation. But what ends up happening is the king of Assyria wakes up the next morning and 185,000 of his soldiers are dead. Dead. 
I love this archaeologically speaking because we have what's called the Lachish tablets. The Lachish tablets are these tablets that have been found in Assyria. And it talks about the king of Assyria conquering this town and this town and this town. And then they get to Lachish and they conquer Lachish, which is why it's called the Lachish tablets. And then they go to Jerusalem and it says, we locked up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. In archaeology, we find a lot of times they don't like to talk about the bad things that happen. They like to talk about the good. But you can read between the lines. They conquered, they conquered, they conquered, but why didn't they conquer? Instead, they locked up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. Like, oh, we did it. Mentions nothing about 185,000 dead people. But now that we have the Bible's account, we see why he was only locked up like a bird in the cage for a while. God was fighting for Hezekiah. It goes on, so he returned shamefaced, the king of Assyria, to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down and, with the sword there. You read the story, you see he was a prideful man. Pride comes before destruction. Thus the Lord said to Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And it goes on. Many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem, presents to, the he to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of the nations thereafter. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. Bottom line, without reading everything here to you, what's going to happen is this. He's exalted, just like Uzziah. He gained great fame. He was blessed by God. And then that door cracked open. He gets sick. He even prays to God. He turns his face to the wall, which, by the way, archaeologically, we see they even in the Jews do that today. Prayed. God comes in and says, I'm going to give you another 15 years of life. Well, then you get to verse 35 or 25. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. The Babylonians come. He shows them all the stuff he has in his treasury. Therefore, wrath was looming over him. He didn't even know it. Wrath was looming over him. Let me tell you, you got pride in your life? Search your heart now because wrath could be looming over you. You don't even know it, but tomorrow could happen to you tomorrow. Search your heart. Ask God, reveal to me these things in my heart. It says it was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Like I said, our sins don't just affect us. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Beautiful words. Then Hezekiah humbled himself. You know, we often don't identify our attitude as pride. Like I said, I've been deluded many times. We can justify it as blessings. Sometimes our blessings may not be blessings if we allow them to become curses. Catch that. No, I think it's okay to do that. Absolutely, it's okay to tell your kids you're proud of them. What I'm, but we just have to be careful that they don't get an attitude of pride. I was following up. I knocked yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the king's pride affected, as I said, the whole country. Men, I'm speaking to you specifically right now. The pride in your life will affect your household. You were called. As Adam was placed in the garden, that word placed in the garden there literally means to protect. God has placed you to protect your garden, and you need to search your heart because I'm telling you, you will affect your spouse. Your whole kingdom is affected by you. If you're caught in pornography, how many times have we seen that? Guys in pornography, I know I bring this up all the time, but it's such a huge issue. Pornography, when you're caught up in it, I have seen household upon household fall because of that. Because a husband let that door in the crack, the crack in the door. I see it happening in some homes 
right now of godly men that I know. Depression, half of the time, is because of pride. You would think that, oh, yeah, I'm so good. No, they're depressed. Why? Because of a selfish thing that they want rather than giving glory to God. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Psalm 149.4, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Look at the power humility had in Hezekiah's life. Psalm 34.18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Proverbs 25.1, these are also the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Now I love that because Solomon fell because of pride as well for a while here. But these are the Proverbs of Solomon, Proverbs 25, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Verse 6 tells us one of the Proverbs, Hezekiah said, Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great. So Hezekiah knew this. I don't know if he wrote this before or after. I'm going to guess after. So there are some deep spiritual implications here that we see in not, not exalting ourselves in the presence of the king. In other words, God. That's exactly what Satan did. Sounds like Luke 14 that we see here on getting ready to close up here. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. He who invited you and, he, and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the low, lowliest or lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes... He may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, when we live humbly, God is going to exalt you. If not here, in the life to come. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, Galatians 6, 3, this is why this is, this is the verse that spurned all of this on. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Examine yourself this week. Pray that God would reveal those things in our own lives that destruction would not loom over us. So with that, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, you are holy. And I thank you that you have made us holy. May we continue to walk in your path that we would not walk away from that gift of holiness, that gift of the blood that has covered our sins, the gift of your mercy and your grace, because, Lord, we know that they go together. Works without faith is dead. Let pride not creep into our lives, and may you reveal to us all those things where it has, even in those subtle ways that we might bring honor and glory to you. As we say in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not our will, not our kingdom, not our name. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.